honor now to introduce Liliana Reyes, who will be speaking. Come on up, uh, Liliana. Liliana is the executive director, the interim executive director of Affirmations in Ferndale. Affirmations, if I'm not incorrect, is the largest organization of its kind in the state of Michigan, right? Serving the LGBT community. community. So doing, you know, health services and support groups and, and advocacy and all sorts of different things, uh, connecting people with uh, special skills, attorneys, I bet, and, and others. So um, uh, Liliana is working with God's children, and it's really an honor for us to have her here to speak. Uh, Tim Kowaleski, our board chair, met Liliana at Consumers Power and said, Ken, you got to meet this person and get her to come to speak. So yes, and Tim's on vacation naturally today, so <laughs> I hope Tim feels bad. And uh, I want to give a shout out to our serendipity doodah moms, many of whom will watch this session because I let them know that Liliana is going to be speaking. These are moms all over the country and sometimes outside the borders of the country who come from conservative religious backgrounds and they're in churches that don't support their support of their uh, LGBTQ kids. And so many of these moms are especially concerned and afraid for their trans children. And so um, Liliana is, is going to be a really important encouragement for the moms. So hi moms, listen up. This is Liliana Reyes. Give her a welcome. How is everyone? Oh wow, that's kind of cool. Okay, um, so my name is Liliana Angel Reyes. I am the Interim Executive Director of Affirmations. Um, I grew up in Saginaw and I went to school in Flint and then Ann Arbor, um, and so I lived here for a while. Um, now I'm in Detroit, and so yay Detroit. So I, um, I wanted to talk today about who I was, how faith played a part in my transition. I am a trans woman, which means for those who may not know, I was given male at birth, um, and then I grew up and was like, maybe not, maybe not. And so I transitioned. I never felt trapped in a body. I never, I just felt like a little boy that wanted to be a woman. And so for me, that was normal. Um, and I think through my transition, which started at 17 years old, um, I, a lot of people that I've talked to, I, they felt like their faith was tested and I never felt like mine was. I never felt like it was in a, uh, a test to my faith, um, but it was, faith was the only thing through, during all my struggles of transition that kept me going. And so when I first started, um, I graduated from high school. I went to Cedar Point and worked for the summer and I met my first drag queen. And I'm like, oh my God, that's what I want. That's who I am. <laughs> um, because I didn't know that you could be a trans person. This was before the early 2000s. I didn't know it was possible. I knew RuPaul on TV, but other than that, I knew no, no one else, and she's not even trans. So I didn't know that it was possible. So when I met a drag queen and then later trans women, I was like, oh my God, like people can really do this. And so I didn't quite then think about what that would look like for me in terms of disparity, in terms of access. I just did it. I was like, well, that's me. I, this is what's gonna happen. And so I was only at um, Cedar Point for a few months and then I went back home and I was starting my school. And so my parent, my mom was really, really nosy and she went in my uh, 
big box of stuff and found all my wigs and everything. And she was like, oh my God, what's going on? And so that was a huge endeavor. I had to come out. I have one brother. I grew up in a Mexican family. I am Mexican. Um, and so when I came out, it was, I was kind of dragged out the closet. I'd never, I don't know if I would have ever came out. I mean, I'm sure I would have had to at some point, but it's, it's not something that I was quite ready for. And so I had to come out to my brother who is a, at that time, he was, he was a retired Marine now, but he was active in the Marine Corps. Um, and so he was the manliest man I've ever met in my entire life. Like he would build a boat and a, a house and then go play football. So he was very, very manly. And I was really afraid, like, oh my God, like what's gonna happen? We were fairly close family. Um, and so I came out and the, how I thought it would go was my dad and my brother were gonna have the biggest issues and my mom was gonna be my biggest supporter. And that is not at all how it went. Um, my brother ended up being my biggest supporter, him and his wife, from the very first day till forever. And so that he and through, through our faith together, I think that that kept us close. Um, and so my mom was totally not for it. I grew up in a Catholic household, and I'm sure there's recovering Catholics here. Um, I understand. So when we grew up in that Mexican Catholic household, my family wasn't as Mexican Catholic as you would think. They weren't like, they were very Easter Christmas Catholics. Um, and we would go sometimes and then we would just not go ever. Um, and so there really wasn't this strong biblical, it just wasn't that. Um, but when I tr started to transition, my mom was like, well, I just don't know if God likes this. And I'm like, well, show me where that says in the Bible because you don't read it. So how do you... <laughs> tell me that and so she was like well I just I know that it's that way I'm like no I don't know because throughout my whole life I've never even heard our church back in the day talk about LGBT at all like they just didn't exist and I don't know what's worse that they didn't exist or that they weren't bashing them and so I, I there was never this 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 example that was set that it was anti-anything, it was just my mom couldn't grasp it. And the, the weird part is she had lots of gay friends. And I think it hit way too close to home. And my dad was, now my dad is very, very Catholic. He was an altar boy. He still prefers that masses are in Latin. He is very Catholic. And so I was like, oh, I knew he could quote a Bible scripture. So I didn't ask that question to him. <laughs> so I ended up, when, when everything came out, all he said was, okay, well, this is something that you have to live with, and this is between you and God. I'm like, oh, that's it? And he was like, no, that's it. He was like, it's really not my space. I love you. He was like, your mom's going to not be excited about this, but I will always stand behind you in whatever way that I'm able to. And so the, the interesting thing is um, my parents, uh, my dad was a migrant worker, so he worked in the fields for a really, really long time until Delphi GM took over Saginaw and then Flint at that time. And so then him and all his family ended up getting in the, um, into the plant. And that's where, they that's where they retired from, and my mom was a housewife. And so while all this was going on, my mom ran the household. She decided where money went, even though she didn't make any. She decided how money was supposed to go. My dad would literally work, give my mom his check. She would give him like a stipend and be like, okay, this is what happens. So my mom held lots of the decisions in our home. And so when I came out, my mom was like, I just don't know how I'm going to take this. And at that point, I'm like, 
well, you don't really have a choice in this matter because I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. It was a light that changed in my life when I found out that this was possible. And so again, through this whole ordeal, I never ever questioned, was I a mistake or was this a mistake? It just never dawned on me that it could be a mistake. It never dawned on me that this could be a wedge between me and, and the God that I loved. It just, it never once came into question. It always came into question when I saw other people do it and then say that they were of God. And I'm like, I don't know. And if we're of the same God, then I hope not, because that's not what I ever, again, it's never ever questioned me. And it's strange how other people question other people's belief and intention in God. Um, you don't know. You don't know what that looks like. You don't know what that relationship looks like. So once I trans started a transition, my parents, my mom, for the most part, she didn't speak to me for about two years. And so I, I left the house. We didn't speak. I was living with my brother, um, still going to school. And my dad was my dad would meet me once a week to fill up my gas tank and give me some money, and then we would talk. Um, but he, was always, he would always stand behind my mom, and he wouldn't let things get too bad. But during those two years, my mom and I are the same person. So we're very loud, we're very stand up for what you believe in. Um, and so we argued a lot. And I really did think that we, I was never in my life gonna see my mother again. And again, even through that, I never questioned my faith, I never questioned God. Um, I think she did, though. I think she had lots of questions about what this looked like and why her, like, what did she do? Um, and we, when we ended up finally talking after a really long two years, so my brother was, was supportive, his wife, his three kids were really supportive. Um, they, kids could care less about most things. If you're a good person, that's all they really care about. And they want to have some say in your life if they love you. And so when I transitioned, I started the name change process, the gender marker process super early. And I remember my dad saying, can you wait till I die before you change your name? And I'm like, dad, what if you like die when you're 80? Like I, that would be ridiculous. I would never have the name that I want. And his only request was please don't change your last name. And for him as a Mexican man who grew um, and were, was very proud of his name, he just was like, please don't change your last name. And so I was named after my maternal grandfather, um, and it was Lázaro Chapins Reyes. It's, a lot of people won't say what they call their dead name. I don't think it's my dead name. Actually, it's still part of my name. Um, because it was an honor to my grandfather, who was an amazing man, and I was named after my father, and he was an amazing man, the last name anyway. So when I changed my name, I actually just added to my name. So I added Liliana Angel, Lázaro Chapins Reyes. So it never really fully changed it, and my dad was very excited about that. Um, it took him a really long time to say Liliana, but he was really excited about it. But during this time, when I changed my name, I didn't have much family support. My brother supported me, but I don't think he knew what it was like to go through something like this. And so he supported the best way he could, but I was, for the most part, I felt really, really alone. Um, also in Saginaw and Flint, there were like no doctors that ever treated trans people. So I would have to train my doctors or be told, I'm sorry, we don't treat your kind here. You have to leave. Um, and being told, I'm sorry, this is like special medicine. And I'm like, I don't, not like veterinary medicine. I'm sure it's, I'm sure you can do it. 
And so, so there was a lot of disheartening spaces. This was during the time that there was something called the Harry Benjamin Dysphoria Act, which made you go jump through more hoops. I mean, there's still hoops today, but just the hoops look different in order for someone who is not trans to say, yes, you're trans. And that process means that you have to be diagnosed with a mental health issue, that there's something wrong with you, and the, then the treatment is to get estrogen or sex change or whatever. And, and that was always really difficult for me because it was a process that most trans people have to go through to get on hormones, to get name changes, to get lots of things you have to go through so much. And so for someone, for a system, for an institution to, to tell you that you have mental health issues when you know you're just fine. And probably the only mental health issue I have is my anger yeah. with life because I'm very impatient. But other than that, like I had nothing to do with my transness. I was, I'm intelligent, I, and I, but I had to prove that to myself. And so I, I was like, okay, so you have to get a master's degree then because not only do you have to prove to people you're fine, but you have to work harder than everyone else. You had to work so much harder than everyone else because when I was coming up, even through my transition through my family, I was the first trans person in my family. I was one of the first people in my graduating class. I transitioned at campus. And so, and I went to U of M Flint for my undergrad and U of M Ann Arbor for my master's. And so U of M Flint was a tiny campus. And so everyone knew everyone. And so the transition, literally I came in as a boy for like a couple of days and then all of a sudden I was a girl. And so I am a big person, I, do, I don't blend in well, which is fine, I'm okay with that, but I don't blend in well, so I, I don't camo. And, and so people noticed me and that was really scary because I'm like, okay, no one else, I can't go to anyone, not one person could I go and say, tell me about what this looks like, how did you navigate this? I, I didn't know that my whole life would then be like that, even in my career. So those moments where I was alone, those moments where I felt like I had nothing, all I had was God, to be completely honest. And that, that's all I could ever have, and there was never a question, there was never a doubt. And so I left Christianity years and years and years ago, and I've been Buddhist for over 15 years. But my Buddhism accepts anyone who loves anyone, and you could pray to whoever you want to, or nobody at all, like it doesn't really matter. And so through my faith, it's never changed, it's, it's never weakened. Um, as I got older after those two years, my parents, my mom came around, and her biggest concern that she was able to finally vocalize was, People like you die. They kill people like you. I don't want, you're already Mexican. You're already like, this is gonna be really difficult. We didn't come from privilege. And so you're adding more than maybe needs to happen. And like, what if you die? And I'm like, what if I die? But there's a difference. Either I can be in your life alive or I can not be in your life dead. Like, what does that look like to you? And so she was like, okay, I think I can try this. And I'm like, well, I don't really need you to try. I don't need your approval. I just need you to, if you're okay, then you have to be okay. But if you're not, we're not, we're not walking the middle ground. And so she was like, okay, well, fine, I'll try, I said. I'm like, okay, well, don't try, just do. Yeah. And she was like, no, I said, I'll try. And so I'm like, okay. So throughout 
about six months after that, there were some touch and go moments and touch and go periods where she was like, I'm uncomfortable using your name. And I'm like, well, it's not your name to use. You use the name that I ask you, otherwise I won't talk to you. And so there were some harsh roads that, and lines that I drew because I had two years to think about all this. I had two years to prepare myself that I would never be in my parents' life. So now that they were back, I'm like, oh no, we have rules now. Like it's, this isn't like the same way. And so what I can say is, of course, through this all, there's a hope that happens when your parents or family are willing to accept you for who you are. And sometimes you get let down because people aren't perfect or because sometimes people just don't know how to unthink the things that they think. And so there was lots of prayer. There was lots of, lots of, uh, of spirituality that happened through there. And through it all, my parents and I um, have, have had an amazing relationship. They've been the biggest supporters. Um, my mom was sometimes a little too supportive, like, let's go to a drag show. And I'm like, let's not. Like, let's just stay home. And then she was like, fine, I'll go by myself. And then she met all the drag queens and they all loved her and they would all tip her. And so at some point I'm like, okay, mom, like, you don't have to just be the gay mom. And she's like, no, but it's okay though. And so then she started to march and do all these policy things and she was really 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 at that point fully for me and so my dad was still like between you and God whatever and and I'm like okay so through that all once I graduated and my mom was also afraid that this lifestyle was going to change who I was and I wasn't going to be a successful member in life um, and so when I graduated with my bachelor's and my master's, I think it changed the thought of what, in her mind, trans people could do because we didn't know any trans people that could be successful. Um, and it, up until my mom's passing, which happened about six or seven years ago, she was my biggest supporter. And my dad, to this day, we talk every single day. I go see him every week, and we have an amazing relationship. And he treats me more like love than I've ever had in my entire life. And my family is ever so much amazing and, and part of us. We just had Christmas last year together um, with my brother who's now retired and his three kids who grew up loving me and adoring me and never looking at me weird are now, one of them is about to graduate college. So as I get older, I realize that the people who love me are also, their love grows each year. Um, and it's interesting because our family has different faiths, but we never talk about the wedge between the faiths, but more of what the faiths have in common and more that the faiths have brought us together. Um, and so through my whole process, and even, even now, I rely on faith more than I ever have before. I had to fight for every space that I enter. I am, and I'm gonna say it, and it sounds awesome, but it's also scary. I'm the first trans Latina to run a public organization in the entire state of Michigan, any public organization. <laughs> that and that sounds great but that's really scary because there's no one else I can look to that means if I make a mistake then that's then that's what it's gonna be and that's how people are gonna view it and that's not a fair way to live but that's a way to live and and no matter how much I get no matter what I do people always question my ability to do what I can do um, I've worked I'm a, I'm a national expert in a few things only because when I was in college I'm like I have to do everything that I possibly can to be as as good as I possibly can because there's some competition I'm going to have to go up that don't look like me, that didn't transition, that isn't Mexican, that isn't lots of things. And so 
through it all, I'm still figuring out my way. And there's, there's even more so now when you're in an uh, executive director role and you have to hide your face work a little more when you're angry. You know, I don't have a good poker face. So people know when I'm angry. And so there's lots of prayer in, in meetings that happen. Like, please just, just flood this whole place right now. I don't have to think about it. And that's, and that's honest because sometimes that's what happens with hope. When people go through so much and they go through so much trauma, you can have hope, but sometimes it's really clouded by a lot of things. And it's easy to go, I just don't want to have to deal with this. And there are moments, no matter where I go through, that I feel that way. I never give up faith, but there are moments where I don't often see the hope. And that's scary. But the good thing is I know I could never give up my faith. So hope will always be there. I just have to look for it. Um, so thank you so much for listening. I am so happy to be here. I love Ann Arbor. Um, thank you. Thank <laughs> you.